the show. I am Joel here with my dad. And I'm Rick. Glad you joined us today. Dad, I want to talk about dealing with opposition today. And, you know, if you set out to do anything good in the world, oddly enough, <laughs> there's yeah. going to be some opposition. It, there's, I don't know what it is, but I mean, you can be doing the most wonderful thing and somebody's going to take issue with what you're doing. They're going to question your motive. They're going to question your method. So there's really no way to get around somebody being opposed to what you're doing, which is the weirdest thing. You would think there are some things that people just aren't opposed to. Yeah, you'd think everybody would be agreed on some things. Yeah. Well, they typically are agreed on the same things. A lot of times it's how do you accomplish that goal? Yeah. Which So I, I want to talk about how do you, it basically, if you're not getting any opposition, you're probably not doing anything of really importance right, in the world. Yeah. Uh, but when you get into a situation where you feel like you're called to do something and you go pursuing it, I, I mean, you can pretty much expect some pushback. And I want to first ask the question is, how do you know when the pushback is what you should expect? And how do you know when the pushback is something that's a sign you shouldn't keep doing that? Because sometimes pushback is because you're doing something you you shouldn't be doing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that's a tricky one. No, I think it might come from, I mean, one of the ways to look at it might be the source of that pushback. If it's people who really care about you and love you and mm. and can explain to you good reasons why this isn't going to work, you know, well, we really don't think you should, you know, use that uh, towel hanging on your shoulder and think you can be Superman and fly off the roof. <laughs> right. So we're just suggesting you don't jump off the second floor of the house, you know. Uh, that's That's one kind of pushback. Um, and that's from people who love you and people care. And now that's not to say they can't be wrong. They they very well can be. I think that's where, again, you know, we go back to the idea of obedience and letting the Lord lead you. And if if you're trying to follow in a good heart and with a humility and a willingness to listen, there still will be times that you have to jump off the roof. You know, you feel like that's the Lord said. And you may fall flat on your face. You know, sometimes that's a part of uh, we, you look at Moses again in the wilderness, you know, he... Uh, tried to deliver the people of Israel by his own strength, his own way, and uh, fell flat on his face. But it was part of the preparation process too, him going out and uh, learning the ways of the desert. So I, I've been thinking about this issue a lot lately is I get frustrated with people that don't agree with me. <laughs> oh, yeah? And you have a few of those? Yeah, yeah. It's, strangely enough, some people don't agree with me. Uh, and I get frustrated. I and mean, I've often thought, I'm like, you know, if I didn't have those people disagreeing with me, I don't think I would be forced to make sure that what I really believe is there's strength to it. Yeah. Uh, th yeah. A lot of times, if you find yourself in a bubble where everyone is affirming you, yeah. you're never going to grow into all that you can be because you're just going to be very lopsided. Um, opposition in, in many ways kind of balances you out as I, yeah. I, I think. Well, I know with me, when I was uh, preaching regularly every Sunday, I really appreciated having people in the congregation that had different theological perspectives on that because it made me think it through. It made me really know where I stand because I would anticipate the questions or the criticisms that they were going to have. And I would try to answer those before they even ask them. So it really kept me, and I had to be solid biblical. It couldn't just be, you know, you couldn't just shoot something out there because you knew there were going to be people questioning it. Yeah. So it really kept me sharper. And somebody said too, you can, you know, your critics, you really do need to listen to them because they're probably the only people that will really tell you the whole truth. Yeah. You know, about what you're saying and what you think, you know. Somebody that's like, well, I like that guy. I get, I get what he was saying. Yeah, yeah that's it's not close really enough. what he meant. Yeah, it's yeah. close enough, yeah. But you have to really be precise when you have people that are 
criticizing you. And, and so it really sharpened me. It made me a better presenter because I was anticipating what questions would be coming to mind. Even if they were on my side, I mean, they obviously were attending the church where I was pastoring, so they obviously weren't a, an, an opponent, yeah. but they did come from a different theological background. And so I had to try to answer those questions that I knew they would be asking. Uh, that, I mean, that's a great point for those who are leaders, those who are maybe presenters of concepts and truth is if you aren't getting pushed back, you're never going to be able to refine what where you stand on yeah. things. Because uh, again, it's, it goes back to that echo chamber. Living in that bubble. If we all think alike, probably none of us are really thinking very much. Yeah. Because you don't have to. That's true. You know, you just say the same things over and over. So if you're getting massive amounts of opposition, mm -hmm. um, I, I had this thought the other day, I thought, you know, the closer you get to the truth, the less affirmation you're probably going to get from the masses. We all agree with that, yeah. I thought, man, because we live in just such a kind of a diluted world mm -hmm. where everything, truth has been diluted to the point where the closer you get to the tr truth, it's going to be an offense to people that are in power structures because the power structures are often based on, I mean, this sounds so ethereal, but power structures are often based on deception or one-sided truth. Well, th these people are horrible over here, or this is that, and this... And so whoever can kind of plant the deepest seed of fear or whoever can, you know, convince you the most that they're on the right side of things, um, you're going to, they're going to get a lot of affirmation. But then when you, when you find the truth, which is usually somewhere in the middle of those mm -hmm. two extremes, you're not going to get affirmation from either side. And I think that's one, of, that's one of the things that struck me. I've just been thinking about that a lot lately is we're, we, we're looking for people to affirm, oh yeah, that's the right way to believe. Yeah, But really, if you're getting close to the truth, you're probably not going to get a lot of vociferous, outspoken affirmation from those on either of the two extremes. Yeah. There's a small maybe remnant in the middle. It's like, you're onto something here. Of course, if you're, if you're uh, having that problem too and getting a lot of pushback, it could also be that you're into something really wacky. Yeah. You know, you could be a David Koresh out there with a Branch Davidian and you- That's what's tricky about it. We've got to be right. We've got to be right because the whole government of the United States is opposing us and going to burn down our place here in Waco. <laughs> That's very tricky too. It's like, that guy is either really brilliant or he's totally insane. He's totally whack, yeah. You get to a point where you're either that or- And yeah. people, you've got opposition saying, one part of the opposition is saying, uh, you know, some people are saying you're, you're absolutely insane. And then other, other people are like, that guy's totally brilliant, but he's totally off his, you know, or maybe you're t brilliant and insane. I don't yeah, know. It could be a little both. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. in terms of the opposition, um, I've also been thinking a lot lately that if you really want to change the world, you're not going to do it without opposition. Mm -hmm. Well, change brings opposition. Yeah. The very fact that you're changing anything is going to bring some opposition. Yeah. And you really need to pay close attention to those that are opposing you because oftentimes they will help you refine what you're actually called to do. Yeah, they'll, they are the ones that will tell you the truth. And uh, on the other hand, I found out too that both criticism and praise are really deceitful. They're, mm. both, they're both liars. You know, so criticism, you can say, well, you know, I, I can listen to it and I can go, well, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong or whatever. And, that, and the criticism may be wrong, but also the praise comes along. Oh, you're doing awesome. That's just wonderful. You can't really listen to that either because it's easy to uh, uh, praise somebody just because you don't want to really confront what seems to be off there. Pra in, in many ways, that I mean, that would make sense that praise could actually be the worst kind of opposition. Yeah, yeah. Because it, uh, it, 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 again, it doesn't refine you. It doesn't challenge you in what you're thinking. And it just, it, it just uh, 
what would you say, root you on. You know, yeah. you may be running off a cliff, but it's like, you know, this is really great. You're doing a great job. And maybe they aren't seeing it or maybe they are seeing it and they just don't want to say, hey, there's a cliff up ahead. That's here, the you know? wounds from a friend can be trusted, but That's, an enemy multiplies kisses. Hey, you're going great. You're going great. Just keep going just a little bit over that yeah. hill over there. And on the other side of the hill's a cliff and they're like, peace out. You're out yeah. of my way now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. True. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same passage there because it, it is um, people who love you many times um, are going to encourage you. They don't want to they don't want to tell you unless it's very evident. So they don't want to really confront you and what's going on in your life many right. times. Um, and because of our own insecurities, we all are insecure in our own ways. And so, well, it doesn't seem like right to me, but you know, maybe, maybe it'll work out okay for him. I don't know, you know? And so, yeah, we um, have to listen to both criticism and praise very carefully because both will deceive us. I was thinking a lot about how, um, when, when you face opposition, oftentimes the opposition, the best thing that they can do is to get you distracted and to kind of drag you into, yeah, um, uh, kind of get you off point. And, yeah. and if you're not laser focused, it's easy to do that. They'll drag you into uh, the word, I love this word, minutia, into the minutia yeah. of things or get you into the weeds about, well, I, you know. Well, that's, what, that's a debate tactic that's uh, used a lot. The red herring, you know, where it's like, I say something outlandish about you and then you spend all of your time saying, trying to prove that's not true rather than really proving uh, the point that you're trying to substantiate. Right. And so all you waste all your time saying, well, that's not true. That's not true. You know, and, and it, it really doesn't matter because all I've done is kept you from being able to present the positive side of what you're trying to say. So um, I know in Proverbs, it says, if you, re if you rebuke a wise man, he'll be wiser still. And, and the wise man will receive a rebuke. And so there are people, there are times we do need to um, take that rebuke into our own heart, receive it, listen to it, evaluate it, decide whether we do something with it or not. Um, but it's it's going to um, help sharpen our focus either way. Yeah. A lot of times I think uh, some of the greatest opposition we face is internal resistance. Um, there's a great book called The War of Art. Yeah, I mean, the art of war is the, Sun Tzu. The art the, uh, war. War yeah, the art. war of art. Yeah, uh, and it's by Stephen Pressfield, and he talks about how whenever you set out to create something artistic, um, you know, art like writing, or he's actually a, a movie writer and writer and a, and a book writer. He talks about how there will be this internal resistance, and it will show up. The opposition yeah. will show up as uh, well, voices in your head saying, "Do it later," or "It's not. Um, it's in the right time." There's other voices that are just, or there's just a resistance to just overcoming the the first step. I, I find this with writing. The hardest part is opening my computer and just starting to put words down. And then once yeah. I start the words, but anytime you're setting out to do anything like working out or getting in shape like that, usually there's this resistance to the first step. And if you can overcome that resistance to the first step, that first opposition, you can get in motion and kind of keep it going. Yeah, And yeah. I, I think that... Uh, that book is super helpful where he talks about how to beat the resistance and how you have to literally just push through your own internal opposition. He, you know, he, he uses very um, kind of cosmic terms. Like there's the forces of, of uh, resistance are trying to stop you from bringing creative life into the universe. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. There's probably an element of that. I mean, if, if, as a Christian, if you believe that the enemy does want to keep you from, you know, creating, which is, you know, God was creative and he made us creative, then there would be that resistance to it. But a lot of times I don't, we blame stuff on the devil, but really it's just our own 
yeah, um, uh, inertia. I think our own insecurity too can cause us to feel like a fraud, mm-hmm. uh, like we're we're putting forth something that we really aren't able to live up to. Um, I, I've talked with creative people, particularly who go, well, I don't really feel like I'm that creative. I go, what do you mean you're not creative? Look at, look at what you do here. Yeah, but it's just because it's so natural to you. I remember your sister used to uh, always feel like she was dumb. We go, what do you mean you're dumb? You make like straight A's in school. Yeah, but I have to study so hard. I have to work so hard. She had this idea that if I was smart, everything would just come without me having to study it. And I go, well, part of the proof that you are smart is that you do study. Right. But she just felt like kind of a fraud. I don't deserve these grades because I'm not smart, you know. And so we many times in, in areas where we're working, we may feel like we're a fraud. We may feel like we're really not um, who we pro- project ourselves to be. Yeah, that's a good point. And then, okay, so here, here's, a, here's my next question. How do you deal in a godly way with opposition? Do you just nuke them, like blast them back as hard as you can. Cause you see what we see yeah. in our world today right now is if what you do is if, if you, if somebody's op- opposing you, you shame them, you publicly shame them, you call them out or you cancel them. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't like something they're saying, you you're, well, you're not invited to the club. You yeah. don't get to come and speak at my university. Or you say something so profound, drop the mic. Wow. I really blew you right. apart. You know? Yeah. Uh, there's something Jordan Peterson talks about that. He says that whenever you're declaring truth and uh, Francis Schaefer talked about this a lot too. He said, when you have dropped a truth bomb, um, you must deal very gently with the person that you've just bombed. Yeah. Because people that have been bombed don't usually like to hang out with the person that bombed them. Yeah. So you don't win in the end if you're actually trying to uh, win somebody to your way of thinking or you're actually trying to gain your own personal growth from them opposing you, which which they can push you further. A lot of times it's your critics that push, push you the furthest. Yeah. Um, but that's that's a good point. Jordan Pearson talks about how you must use minimum necessary force. Once you've delivered a truth that you can tell has shaken someone, um, or you're doing something, that's another thing. A lot of times, your people are doing something that makes other people very uncomfortable. They're they're making some headway and changing mindsets. And those people with that mindset go, "Hey, don't be messing with those people." I think about that a lot of times when people are trying to break out of, um, you know, like maybe a, like a generational poverty or something, and they're trying to break out of that. And then those in the crab in the the pot type thing. They pull the crab back in. Oh they yeah. Say, oh, you come back down here. And it's the opposition you're getting. And you could go and just, first of all, you could do that, like the ad hominem attack where you just attack the person individually. Like we were talking about, distract them by just attacking them personally. But how do you, how do you, how do you think you should, in a godly way, we are going to get opposition. Do you just ignore them? Do you listen to them? Do you try to persuade them to your way of thinking? I mean, the Bible talks some elements of that. I'm thinking of a few. Actually, I got to look up one of the verses. What's your take on that? Well, you um, you know, if you're trying to uh, come across as cool and I'm really, if it's all about you, then go ahead and drop the mic, man. Lay the truth bomb out and just walk away and everybody be impressed, which really they aren't. You know, you just, you feel good about yourself. But I don't think that's, as a believer, that's not your goal in life. Your goal in life as a believer is to influence others toward the kingdom. And you really only influence friends, you aren't going to influence enemies very much, at least in a positive way to coming over to your way of thinking. And so one of the greatest ways is by listening because you don't even know what they're talking about. And that's a big problem we have today. You, people don't even listen. You, you don't even know what this guy thinks. You know what the straw man that you've built of him believes, but you don't know what he believes. And every man's way is right in his own eyes. So no matter how 
outlandish this person's view on whatever, however you might think it's outlandish, to him, it makes perfectly good sense. Right. And so there's probably some pieces that you are missing. I found if two plus two equals six, I'm missing something. And that's what we happen a lot of times. People go two plus two is six, or it's the example of a coin. You know, if I hold a coin up in front of us and I'm looking at it, I say, hey, do you see the eagle on the coin on a quarter, for example? You say, that's not an eagle, that's a man's head. Because you're on the other side. You're seeing that side. And I go, you are crazy. You're just, look, there's the wings and everything. And, and you're saying, no, 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 I see his nose. I see his eyes. Right. And, and I'm saying, you are just a total idiot. Mm. And instead of maybe kind of coming around to your side and looking at it and saying, oh, oh, okay. Well, I still disagree with you, but I can at least see how you see that's a man's head because I'm, I'm seeing it from your perspective now. Basically, you're saying give the opposition some credit, saying they're not, a totally stupid person that they've got, there's some reason they're they've not come totally up with evil this. even. That's kind evil. of what we've come to now. That if you disagree true. with me, you're evil. You're not just stupid, you're evil. That is true, which sets you up on very moral high ground. Like, well, I yeah. am the ultimate good. Yeah. Anything you do short of that, if you oppose what I'm trying to do, that's a good point. We've gotten to a point in society where it's like, well, you're evil because you'd have yeah. a different point of view because mine is the moral high ground. Don't you know that? And, and that makes it easier to totally destroy somebody or totally, if you can dehumanize them. Mm. You know, that's kind of what they say in war. You kind of have to see your enemy as less than human. Yeah. Because if you begin to see him as human, it's very hard to go to war. And in the same way in the, in the Christian element, it's, it's, it's just the exact opposite. We have to see them as not only human, but as a human worth redeeming that who, for whom Jesus Christ died. And so therefore laying down our own arrogance, laying down our own pride, present the truth and let it sit there. Because again, you sow seed, but then you don't, you can't make that seed grow. Right. You know, if I'm not sowing seed and Jesus used the example of sowing seed as the word, and then I'm going to try and make that seed grow. And the more I try to make it grow, the more I keep it from being able to grow. And so many times you just have to, in a loving way, plant a seed and then wait for the time to be right. You talked about this straw man thing, and I hear that a lot, that word. Mm -hmm. And I have, I've never actually taken the time to look it up, but I looked it up. It's an intentionally, mes an intentionally misrepresented proposition that is set up because it's easier to defeat that, the straw man, yeah, exactly. than an opponent's real argument. So what you do is you say, well, my opponent clearly believes this. And the guy's yeah. like, that's not what I believe at all. And so you start arguing towards what your opponent clearly believes in your mind. Right. And- and then he's going to have to spend time correcting. First of all, first of all, I don't even believe that. And then you yeah. can't even like. Well, what do you mean you don't believe it because you behave this way? Well, yeah. yeah, but I behave that way because of this, this, and this. And man, we have talked about that. That's what, the, that's what, because there's so much yelling in our world yeah. today and very little listening. We don't even see the validity because the, the media basically is what represents what somebody believes. If the media says they believe this, this way, well, well, why would the media lie about that? But really, right. they've got their own agendas. And I mean, if you don't believe people in the media have their own agenda, like you're lying to yourself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. every media, I mean, in a sense, a media outlet cannot be unbiased. Mm. It has to have a bias. The bias starts with what news stories do we cover? Right. Okay, so 50 gays gathered to outside the White House and 50 pro-lifers gathered outside of uh, the Capitol building. Which one do we cover? Which one do we give the emphasis to? And then were they pro-lifers or were they anti-abortion? How do you word it? Yeah, yeah, the wording that you pick, you know, or were these people fighting for gay rights or were they people who were a bunch of homosexuals out there um, 
you know, protesting or whatever. And so how you word it's nothing because you have to choose certain wordage. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's impossible for a media, it's impossible for any of us to not have any bias and present just the facts. Yeah. And so back to the opposition idea of it is if, if you've got somebody that you clearly, it can, it's clear from the way they're presenting the quote facts mm-hmm. that they are, that you are opposed to the way they present the facts, which is a lot of what we have today. That's fake news. No, you're fake news. No, you're fake news. Mm-hmm. What is fake news? Well, it's anybody that doesn't re- present the facts the way that you see the facts, which when you get into that state, you're, I mean, you're in trouble. The crazy part is we don't know what the facts are anyway, really, most of the time. I only know what they told me. I wasn't there. That's true. Yeah. And then facts get suppressed and yeah. Yeah. So when you're facing opposition as Christians, you've got somebody that's clearly an, their worldview as anathema is opposed to your worldview. Um, and a lot of people say, well, they're not the opposition. Don't think of it as the opposition, but their worldview is definitely opposed to your your worldview. How do you pursue, you've already said that, and I agree with that, that they aren't the enemy. They're what they think is enemy an enemy to yeah. what we believe, but what you you don't ever convince an enemy, you convince a friend. I think the what you have to do is realize that as believers, we're called to live at a higher plane, mm. a different plane. A higher plane sounds like it's, it is a higher plane. It is. I mean, it is a higher yeah. plane. It's, it's not an arrogant higher plane like, oh, yeah. I'm so enlightened and you're not. Yeah, but yeah. not in that way. But it is a higher plane in that this, and you see the perfect example in Jesus, okay? So he confronts this this enemy. He's, at, he's sitting down at a well mm. and... Uh, John uh, 4 there, and the woman comes to the well. She's an enemy. She's a Samaritan. Samaritans hate the Jews. She hates him already because he's a Jew. And so what does he do? There was an ethnic hate there. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He- ethnic, yeah, there was already a hate there. A hate, And she, of course, felt despised, even though there was no, but she just knew it because so it was not Jewish. only It was distrust. It was a hatred. Mm-hmm. It was lots of years of baggage. Years of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the first thing he does is instead of saying, you want me to... Uh, share some living water with you. You know, I've got something to give you. He says, hey, would you, could you do something for me? Could, he humbled himself. Mm. I mean, he he could have just caused it to rain right there and fill his hand with water. But he says, could you provide me a drink? And so he co- he comes humbling himself, asking her for something. And I, this is one of the things I had a pastor tell me years ago and I found it to be so true. If you really want to be friends somebody, ask them to do something for you rather than you do something for D- them. Didn't it's Dale, amazing. I didn't Dale Carnegie say that in, in How to Win Friends to, and Influence yeah. People too? I think he says that. Like, yeah, if you want to make a friend, ask them to do you a favor. Yeah, yeah. something little. I mean, you know, something. Right, but, Don't, but, give, me, give me your car. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, if, but then all of a sudden you're indebted to them. And you'd say, well, I don't want to be indebted to them. But it's that humbling yourself, making yourself vulnerable. Mm. And so he basically made himself vulnerable to them. He didn't come across like, hey, by the way, I am the son of God. Just uh, That is interesting because you hear about people that have had like, like they've seen a miraculous, amazing things that have happened and then they still doubt. So he could have called you know, fire from heaven or yeah. filled his glass of water right there. And watch this. And then, but she still could have walked away doubting and said, eh, some sort of slight good, hand. Good magician. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because there was so much hostility already built up yeah. between who he was and who she was. So he made himself vulnerable first mm. of all. And he came to her and said, Hey, could you give me a drink of water? And she goes, why are you asking me this? You know? And then he begins to say, he begins to offer her something in return. You know, we assume she gave him the water at some point in time and, you know, I could uh, I could 
I have something here for you. And then when she um, found out that it was going to be a spiritual thing, she she gets all religious all of a sudden. She well, goes into distracting tactics, right? Exactly. Yeah. She starts getting into the religion. Well, let's talk about this clearly argument because I know holy, what you're thinking. Yeah, clearly you're a holy man, but you know, your people think we should worship over here yeah. and we believe you should worship over here. Yeah. yeah, so she wants to bring it back to that. And here's where I was saying, I think in these situations, we have to take it to a deeper level. And he then says, he then goes right to her heart. Mm -hmm. He doesn't deal with the head. He doesn't deal with, well, you know, he does answer the question. He does say, well, you say worship there. We say worship here. Eh, days come when it doesn't matter where you worship because it's going to be in spirit and truth. It's a whole other thing coming. But why don't you go get your husband? And all of a sudden he begins to go right to the heart of the matter. And here's the deal. Your enemy, quote unquote, is hurting in some way. Mm -hmm. And if you can get past that, I remember we had a situation here not long ago where you had a Facebook very aggressive Facebook person that we uh, know yeah, who, that's right. who wrote yeah. you and is like, and you were, you were wise enough to go back. Well, how are things going in your life? Mm. Oh, great, great, great. But this is falling apart and that is falling apart. They wouldn't say it was falling apart, but in between the lines, you could tell, wow, there's some pain there. There's some hurt there. That goes back to what Francis Schaeffer says, where the idea that once you've brought someone to the end of their, like all of a sudden they've gotten thrown off their sturdy, well, I, this is my position and I'm not changing. And yeah. then you throw them off with like, oh, but it looks like you're hurting over here. And then they're like off balance. Yeah. He says, you don't go ahead and just push them off the edge of, of their pedestal. You leave that to the Holy Spirit. And he said, you gently, once you've brought them to the end of it and you brought that, he says, you gently step back and you trust the Holy Spirit to bring the conviction. And I mean, that's very ethereal, but it's so true because if you go ahead and they're down now. It's like- Well, I see that you're really hurting in this area. You yeah. Might, yeah. If you go for the uh -uh. jugular, we're like, now that they're down, go ahead and put pop two in their head. You know, pop, pop. Like, mm -hmm. no, that's not how you do it. You leave them to pick themselves up, dust themselves up and let the Holy Spirit come in and fill the yeah. hole that's been created by the, like the, basically the shattering of the foundation they were standing on. That sounds super ethereal, but that that's so, that's what Jesus essentially, of course, Jesus, Jesus he was the fullness of God. He was in pretty flesh. good at that stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, he kind of knew a little more about her situation. But I know we for us, at. a lot of times you're like, I won. I convinced him to my point yeah. of being. And then you just go for the jugular. And, and by the way, you're guilty of sin and you yeah. need to. And it's like, you need to, you have to trust that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate one who knows what's going on behind the scenes. And when you have that opposition to you, if you can stick with the heart issues, first of all, like you said, you can make a friend. Mm -hmm. um, but then second of all, you can talk about those things that, they're dealing with, and they're not going to feel like a, oh, he's trying to figure out my weak point and jab me there. Like, yeah. where's, the, where's the gap in my armor so he can jab a knife in there? It's not like that. It's win them over to friends. It's like a friend trying to help another friend. Because you're never going to win if you stay at that intellectual level because they have it already figured out. They probably yeah. they already know the 20 questions you're going to ask. They already have their 20 answers all figured out. And besides, that's not really what matters. As, yeah, even if you stomp them intellectually, nope, they're not going to publicly no. go, oh, okay. Actually, even if you change their mind, that doesn't make an eternal difference. Mm. You know, it's, it's that idea of uh, coming at the heart. And if the heart is changed, then everything else will come in line eventually. You know, and who knows, maybe it's your heart that needs to be changed and you're the one that needs to come in line, you know, because yeah. we could be wrong, right? Which is where the opposition can be a gift. Yeah. They can show you when you bump up against them and they're like, oh, whoa, I yeah. was off on that. Yeah. But you're never going to be wrong in saying, in working with the heart issues and what's, where are you hurting? Can I just, can mm -hmm. I just love you on that? Because that's got to be, that's got to be painful. And you mourn with those who mourn, you rejoice with those who rejoice. Wow, that's really great that that's going well for you. Not, man, I hate that that's going well for you because you're my enemy. I want you to fail. You know, I want you to fall. 
no, I'm, I'm glad that worked well for you. And so you befriend. So you basically you're saying, what I, what I think it comes down to is this, is what I hear you repeating too, is when you have somebody that's opposing you, the first thing you do is consider it. Consider the opposition. Who is it that's opposing you? If it's somebody that you value their opinion or you think, um, well, regardless if you value opinion, yeah. if, if there's some element of truth to it, focus on that and say- It what, obviously makes sense to them. Yeah, what do I need to integrate about that? Yeah. And then secondly is ask, tell me more about this. Where do you see that I'm off? And then that's almost the humbling yourself. Like, tell me what's wrong Making about- Making yourself vulnerable. Yeah, make yourself vulnerable. Tell me what's wrong I'm about thirsty. what I believe. Can you give me something to drink? Yeah. yeah. Then if you've concluded that in the end, you've still got the corner on the truth there, the final thing is, you don't go for the jugular against your opposition because uh, like- You go for the heart. You go for the heart. <laughs> oh, but you don't go and say, it's it's the minimum necessary force. Yeah. Like, hey, I think you're wrong for this reason. Um, but again, like people that have been, your vanquished foes don't like to hang out with those who vanquished yeah. them. <laughs> I may disagree with you, but you know what? Yeah. I, I, I still care about you and how things go on in this area. How things go to, the, go to the other level, go to the personal level and, and not with the motive of, wow, this is a great manipulation tactic or I can get no, it. Yeah. But really because you care about him. That's what Jesus was doing. He really cared about that woman. You want them to have truth. You want to have truth. And together you come together and you, you share that with each other and you, you grow hopefully in truth. And with that, I mean, that's what turns an enemy into a friend in many ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the the opposition can really turn out to be um, a great um, growth, a tool for growth for us in our personal lives. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want more information from Joel or Rick, you can visit joelmalm.com or rickmalm.com. Please consider leaving a review of the podcast podcast 